0: good morning. I am so glad that you are here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Have you ever seen the TV shows um, in which they, they show the lifestyles of the rich and famous? Have you ever seen any of those? Okay, they're pretty wild. I'm going to go ahead and use the, the overhead if you can real quick. It's going to be one of those days, isn't it? We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Here we go. Um, well, it's halfway there. You know what? Who needs that? How about with this? Just don't worry about it. We don't even need it. Um, you guys can, uh, I can paint the pictures without having to worry about that. So um, how many of you have seen the the Lifestyles of Rich is Famous? Or maybe I know some of the, there's a, like a new, new TV show out now where they're showing birthday parties of the rich kids. Have you seen that? Oh my goodness. You, you watch it just a minute and you're like, this is pathetic. I mean, they have a circus even come to their backyard. It's just pretty wild. What all happens now? What we would call that is kind of living the American dream, isn't it? Okay, maybe not for some of us, but for many people, that is the American dream to not only have your house and the white picket fence out front, but to actually have so much more to have wealth, to have popularity, to have fame, the American dream, the American dream goes something like this, get all you can spend all you get. It also goes something like this, the person with the most toys is the winner. What we typically do with the American dream is this. We live first, save second, and then give off of whatever we have left over. And so what typically happens is this, is that when we are prompted to give or prompted to be generous, what happens is that we have very little left over to really truly be able to be generous And so what we do is when we see one of these these, uh, TV shows or we see um, a need and our heart is pricked and says, oh, you need to be generous. And you find a friend or you see somebody in need. Or even when you hear a message that, that prompts you to give and to be generous, what happens is this, is that we typically say, oh, here you go. I got $5, I got $10, I got 20. And you give what you have in your pocket. And many times we're not even carrying cash anymore. So it makes it even harder to be generous. And so here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask some questions real quick just to see, maybe you're not living the American dream, but maybe you know some others who would fall in this category. See if you can answer yes or no and see where you land with this little list. You ready? Are your credit cards maxed? If they are, you're living the American dream. Are you just paying the minimum on your credit cards? Then again, you're living the American dream. Do you find, or do you think paying the minimum on your payments is actually good financial planning. If you do, you're living the American dream. What about this? Do you owe more on your car than it's worth? Then you're living the American dream. Are you saving money each month? If you're saying no, again, you're living the American dream. Do you know how much money actually comes in each month? Many people can't even tell you how much they make each month. What about how much is going out? Can you tell me how much is actually going out each month? And hopefully there's at least a difference in a positive way for you. Are you spending more than you make? If you are, then you're living the American dream. Are you making financial decisions that you hope your spouse does not find out about? If you are, then you're living the American dream. It might be bad for you in a few few months or a few years, but it's going to come back. Let me ask you this. Are you dreaming of winning the lottery? And that's your highest goal. Then you're living the American dream. Now, let me just speak real quick. You ready? If you make over $75,000 a year combined income, And you're feeling financial pressure. Can I just say that's artificial pressure? And can I also say this? You're among the wealthiest in the world. And you should not be having financial pressure. It is put on you by yourself and the way you're spending, the way you're living. The American dream. Here's the goal and here's what we want to talk to you today about. 2 Corinthians 8. You are going to be challenged. You are going to be pushed out of your comfort zone. Now, last week was a very nice rose-colored message. It was about being generous in all of our life. Today, just prepare yourself. Because you are going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged by a church and a people who lived couple thousand years before your, you lived. And here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna make a choice on the way you live out here today to either allow it to challenge you and allow you to grow, or you're gonna do a pushback and say, that's not for me. And here's what I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying for myself, what I'm praying for you as an individual, what I'm praying for us as a church, that we as a people before God would allow him to speak into our lives and to do whatever he's asking us to do. Would you go to the Lord with me in prayer? And let's just ask him to move in this moment. Father, we're just stopping here before we go any further. God, we're asking that you move. God, today, as we talk about finances, we know that there's, we know that there's just a struggle. And anytime a church talks about finances, we know that Satan is working and moving. And God, it just, it wells up inside of us. So, Father, I'm asking before we go any further, that, Father, your spirit would have freedom. That, God, we would have hearts that are ready to hear. That, God, we would have minds that are willing to accept what you're asking us to do. And, God, I pray that you would receive all glory and honor from this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Second Corinthians 8, would you stand now for the reading of God's word? Second Corinthians chapter eight, we looked at verses one and two last week. And so here we go. We're going to go into verse three. It says this again, we're talking about the Macedonian church and Paul is, is talking and writing to the Corinthian church and he's sharing what the Macedonian church did. And he says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify and above their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the lord and then by the will of god to us accordingly we urged titus that as he started so he should complete among you the act of grace but as you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also. Thank you. You may be seated. So here's what we have. Paul is going to begin to walk us through. Now, last week, we talked about how that knowledge awakens our generosity. And it, it wakes us up to say, okay, there's something more in my life that I need to be doing than just living. And this week, what's going to happen is this, is generosity, as Paul begins to explain what the Macedonians have done and what they are doing, he said, I just want you to know that generosity impacts the way you live. It impacts your lifestyle. It actually changes the way you do things. If you're going to be a generous person, it's going to flip upside down this entire American dream idea. And Paul begins to say, Here, let me just share with you how these Macedonians are living. You ready? He says, For they gave according to their means now let's just stop real quick now many of us have lived long enough that we understand that you need to know what comes in and what goes out it seems very basic but over a large stretch of research it demonstrates and shows us that the majority of americans do not budget do not plan a budget do not work and live off of a budget and so for me to just stop right here, can I just encourage you? If you don't have a budget for your own personal finances, please get one. And if you're saying, well, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to go. That's why we started our small groups in Sunday school. That's why we pushed our home groups. We're asking every one of these groups to be going through the basics of financial planning. Why? Because many times, here's what, here's what I'm hearing even from Steve Stroops over here at Lake Point. He says that the problem is, is that people want to give and they want to be generous, but when they come into the church, their finances are so much in a mess that they can't be generous anymore. They don't even know how to be generous. So here's what I'm encouraging you to do. If you don't know how to get your finances in order, jump into one of the home groups, jump into one of the Sunday school classes. Right now, they're all working through some form or fashion and it has budget planning in there. And it may be some of you are going, you know Heath, I'm still, I'm not really convinced. I don't even know how to do this send me an email. I will get you plugged in. There's several people in this congregation that are incredible with finances and with their ability to work numbers. And I will get you plugged into people who are mature in their faith, who understand how to work through the finances. And I will let them help you walk through how to create a budget and then live on a budget. So you send me an email. My email is on the back. You send me that email. I will help resource you in whatever way we can. But here's what's important. Paul says they gave according to their means. They looked at their finances. And now remember, this is a Macedonian church. Do you remember what was going on with them? Just last week, we read in the first verses that they were in poverty. Not only were they in poverty, they were in affliction. It wasn't like these guys were having an easy life. Like they were living the lifestyles of the rich and famous. They were in the midst of trials. They were in the midst of problems. And yet they understood what they had so that they could be generous with it. And then Paul moves on. And what's the next part? He says, not only according to their means, but what? Above their means. Now, this this gets a little hard and a little strange for us because above our means, many of us struggle even just to give according to our means. Did you know that the average church in America can expect expect 50% of the congregation that shows up on Sunday not to give anything at all to the church? 50% of the church attendance will not give anything at all. The next 40% will give some form of tip. They won't ever make it to the 10%. They'll they'll give 15 and 20% to the restaurant. But yet they won't even make it to the 10%, the next 40%. So 90% of the church in a church attendance are not even touching according to their means. What would happen? What would happen if you and I began to rearrange our finances so that we knew what was coming in and we knew what was according to our means and then church, ready for this? And then we allowed God to move in our hearts in such a way that we said, God, we're not only gonna give according to our means, but we've so arranged our finances that when you move in my heart, when you move in my spouse's heart, God, when you move and you say, give above your means, we're now ready to do it. Wouldn't that be amazing? You start talking 10 of the church is giving consistently above, a tithe or above. What would happen if you went to 20%, 30%, 40%? We wouldn't be having the financial talks, would we? Now, keep walking through. He says, not only did they give according to their means, but what else does it say? Ready? He says, as I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, freely they gave it. Now, Paul is gonna get very interesting as he starts walking us through this. Now he's gonna say, they gave it freely. They were not guilted into doing it. And let let me just help us out. If you're giving according to guilt, there's not a blessing that follows. God never asked for you to give according to guilt. Matter of fact, let's go to the New Testament. And as you go through the New Testament, did Jesus ever ask for somebody's money to personally be given to him? He did one time. He took it, he shared what the teaching was about of it, saying whose head, whose face is on it, and then what did he do with the money? He gave it back. Jesus is not after your money. What he's after is that your heart is not focused on money as the first priority. He's trying to free you from living as if money is the main object. So they freely gave. When you come into church, the goal is for you to understand that you are so blessed by God that you can roll in your seat just saying, I can't believe God allows me to give to him. Hilariously, laughing out loud, saying, God, I'm so tickled that you would allow me to be a part. I'm amazed that you allow me to be a part of things that are going on around the world. God, I'm amazed that you allow me to be a part of what's going on here in, in Grand Prairie. I'm amazed, and I am so thankful. God, thank you. Now, how many of you like to give gifts to your kids, grandkids, your spouse, yes? When you get one of those really fun gifts whether it's for the anniversary, whether it's for a, a birthday, when you, are, you went out and you spent time looking for it, are you excited about giving it? I mean, really excited about giving. I get so excited around Christmas time after I start buying some gifts, I get so excited. I am one of the kids. I am ready to give the gifts as soon as I get them. It takes me two to three days and then I'm tired of waiting. I'm so excited. Yes, I, and that's what Paul's saying. Not only did they give freely, Or give of themselves above and beyond, they gave freely. Nobody pushed them to do it. I love that. And as a pastor, that gets me very excited because, you know, pastors and money have a bad reputation. People come to church and they're going, oh no, he's asking for money. Obviously, he just wants one of those new, you know, he just wants a new building. He just wants a new, and and people get nervous. And rightly so. But what if there was no guilt? What if it was just, I'm excited to be a part of what God's doing. Now keep watching, watch watch what happens. You ready? He says, they gave according to their means, as I can testify beyond their means of their own accord. And then verse four, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Does this blow your mind? It blows Paul's mind. Because this is a Macedonian churches and it's not just one church, it's maybe two and three different churches here that we're talking about in the area of Macedonia. And these are the churches in affliction, in poverty, and they're begging to take part in ministering to other people in Jerusalem, the poor saints in Jerusalem. I think that's kind of humorous. It's the poor Macedonians wanting to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. And they're, they're wanting to give and they're begging Paul When was the last time you came to church begging the church to allow you to give? (laughs) It's probably not very often, right? When was the last time you said, hey, pastor, I heard that the benevolence fund is out. And it is. And people started begging saying, pastor, I believe that we need to be helping the poor. I believe that we need to be doing this. And I know there's been so many people coming through and I know there's people in our church and I just wanna be a part. I don't think the Benevolence Fund should be empty. And so pastor, I just wanna get involved. I just wanna help. They're begging, they hear of a need. And instead of just hearing about a need in Haiti, they beg to get involved. They said, pastor, can we set up a, a fund? can we get involved? And Paul is sitting here and he, he's blown away because the Macedonians, they, they should not be necessarily helping by your account, by my account, by human account. They're the ones that need to be getting the resources. They're the ones that should, other churches should be sponsoring and saying we want to take care of those poor saints in Macedonia because they're in affliction, they're poor, they're hurting. But instead, the Macedonians understood something much larger and many times what we, you and I miss. They understood that when they give because the Holy Spirit is moving them and they beg, they want to be a part of what God is doing, not only in their area, but around the globe. They beg to get involved. That is amazing. And the more you think about it, the more mind-blowing it becomes. Now watch, ready? Ready? And this is not as we expected. This is not what we expected at all. I went to this church, Paul's saying, I went there and this is not what I was expecting. I was expecting people to be griping and complaining about their lot in life. I was expecting them to be hurting. I was expecting them to be self-focused and saying, we need help. Paul, get us help. But instead they're turning around and begging to get involved. Now, John Calvin in his commentary, watch this. Here's what he says, quote, the Macedonians, on the other hand, make no account of themselves and almost losing sight of themselves. I love that phrase, losing sight of themselves, concern themselves rather to the providing of others, end quote. You see, the only way you and I move to being generous and to being a generous people is when you and I begin to lose sight of ourselves. When we begin to realize that it's not about us anymore. It's about something so much bigger. That it's not about you and where your world is at, but it's what God is wanting to do through you for his kingdom's sake. John Calvin continues, and this is where it's gonna get a little touchy, ready? If the Macedonians, quote, if the Macedonians without needing to be begged or besought, pressed forward of their own accord, nay, even more, anticipating others by using entreaties. How shameful a thing is it for the Corinthians to be inactive, most especially after being admonished, End quote. Paul is now saying, here's the deal. The Macedonian church, they didn't need to be persuaded. They didn't need to even be told. They didn't even need to be begged. And now the Corinthian church has been encouraged and told the story. Their vision has enlarged. Their vision has increased saying, there are people who are living much differently than you are. What is the good if you sit there and do nothing about it? Paul was pushing and saying, it's really a shameful thing if you as a wealthy church, Corinthians, sit back and do nothing about it. Church, you and I, we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. We're among the wealthiest people in the world. Many of us not only have a nice home to go to, we have more rooms than we need. We have extra rooms, spare rooms, painting rooms, Playrooms, game rooms. We have more than just one TV. We have more than one car. And yet, we find it to be the hardest thing for us to be generous. Does that not grate against your soul just a little bit? It's a rebuke, isn't it? It's almost a rebuke in our lifestyle of how we've set up our lives. I was so encouraged. On Wednesday night, I went over to the, uh, the Bible study that's happening upstairs. It's a discipleship class. And they're talking about what it means to be a disciple. Taking up their cross and daily following. And they're being pushed and challenged. And they're talking through this. And one of the couples came in and said, you know, we've been coming here for a year. And we realized that, yes, we pray. But we haven't really rearranged our lives to follow Christ. And... I'm not leading the study. I just came in and happened to be a part of the study. And here's what the couple said. You ready? They said, we felt like God was calling us about a month ago to sell our 3,500 square foot house, to move into something smaller so that we can actually participate in what God is doing. And I was blown away because these guys were not mature Christians. They were young Christians ready to do something for the cause of Christ. Christ. They're in their 40s and they're saying, it's time for us to stop just living. What would happen if we all began to move in this endeavor and we began to say there's something much more than just living for it, than just a new house and just a bigger car and a nicer car? What if we start saying there's something different to live for? Keep moving, you ready? Now, Paul says something else. He says, now... This is not what we expected, verse 5. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That spiritual revival, spiritual revival is what we pray for and we ask for. And many of us have prayed for that for maybe a long time. And we want a revival in our soul. But the beginning of generosity starts in understanding how God has moved and worked in your life. It begins with understanding that God, you have done so much for me. And now I'm in turn going to give you myself. Understanding that what you have has been given to you by God and you actually own nothing. You own nothing. Your talents, yes, maybe have gotten you so far, but guess what? Who gave you the talents? God. Who gave you the job? God. Who gave you the mind? God. Who even gave you the determination to make it through the hardships? God. Who gave you the financial resources? God. They gave themselves first to God. More than anything else, God desires to be number one in your life. And it's not the quest for things. And money gets a hold of our hearts, doesn't it? Matthew 6 says that we are to lay up treasures in where? Heaven. And then it also tells us in Matthew that what we are supposed to do is this, that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is as well. That's why when people buy a new boat, all of a sudden they now want to spend time on that new boat. They put money into it, their heart goes after it. You buy a new house, a new lake house, you want to spend time there because you now have investment. Your heart moves wherever your money moves. And what Paul is asking and showing is how that, The Corinthian church, or the Macedonian church, it was so much bigger. It wasn't just that they gave money, they willingly gave of themselves to God first. What's the next part? When they gave of themselves, then it says this. Then they gave first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they gave to us. Now, who's us? That was Paul and the other leaders. You will find, you ready for this? You will find generous people. Are tied into and excited about God moving and working in their church. An old pastor once told me, Heath, you can watch when somebody has been frustrated and somebody's about ready to leave the church, before they leave the church, six months before, they have stopped giving to the church. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because you and I think, this is how we think as humans. You and I think that, hey, I'm not, I'm not really liking the way the leadership's working. I'm not, I'm not really liking the way people are moving. I'm not really agreeing with what's going on. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep my money. And you forget that it's between you and God that it's all about. You forget that it's you and God and that God is working in your heart and through your life. And that when you don't give, you're missing out on the fact that God is no longer number one in your life.